0: Hello and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message.
1: y'all come on and get your seat, pass the peace to your last few people, and then wave the peace at the other people. We're gonna um get into the reading of God's word. I'm gonna make this a little bigger because Lindsay is much younger than I am and she still got young people eyes. you know I gotta make this bigger and put glasses on. Y'all know, you know, 57. Ah, she still got young people eyes. Lord. Okay, here we go. Our scripture reading today is from John 21 through 9. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran out and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, um, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached The tomb first, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus's head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. This is the gospel reading of Christ. Thanks be to God. Yeah,
0: there you go. I think we all agree that Tracy will be reading the scripture permanently <laughs> from... From now on, that—that <laughs> that, um, that's what an actress can do, guys, so no pressure. Uh, hi, happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is. Uh, I love Easter. I love celebrating with you. I love that we got like the six hours of wonderful weather uh, to capitalize on this. Uh, we are Easter people, and today is our great celebration, so uh, I'm really glad to be with you. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Uh, Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for this parking lot, and I thank you for these people, and I thank you that uh, you have shown up here over and over and over again, that you took a really dark season um, in our whole earth, and we met up here, and you met us here, and so we ask the same thing today, that your spirit would linger in this parking lot and that you would wake us up to it, to the things that you want to do in us, the things that you're doing in the world, in your name we pray, Amen. Okay, so we um, loosely follow the lectionary here at Springbrook. The lectionary is just like a calendar of uh, scriptures that, that that church was was made by the church for the church years and years and years ago, and so I love it because it means that. We, uh, on Easter Sunday, are in the same uh, gospel passage that churches all over the world are in at this exact same time, and so there's something that feels so good to think that it's not just us in this parking lot, but it's all over, and um, I've been really excited because it changes year after year, and I've been waiting uh, for this year because we're reading out of John, and John is my very favorite of all of the resurrection stories. I don't know if you're supposed to have a favorite resurrection story in the gospel, but I've never been quite good at doing what I was supposed to do, so... Um, John, he is a disciple of Jesus. He's one of Jesus's closest friends. Uh, and so this is his telling of how things happen. Uh, John begins his resurrection story, um, with taking special note that it started in the dark. He says, uh, in verse one that Tracy read early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. Uh, we know from the other gospel writers that Mary wasn't alone. She was actually joined by two other women, another woman named Mary, and uh, John's own mother was actually with her. Her name's Salami, uh not Salami. But Salome, I don't, this may be me projecting, but it feels like she would think it was very important for you to know that her name is not pronounced Salome, um, but Salome. And uh, so through a series of events, again, described uh, by the other gospel writers in greater detail, the women uh, arrive at the tomb and they discover an empty tomb with the stone rolled away and they freak out because of course they do. Uh, G- John tells us that Mary uh, takes off running and that she runs back to town in order to tell the terrible news uh, that Jesus's body is missing. She finds Peter and John. Uh, we know it's John. John, when he writes about himself, he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved, uh, which is like a whole other sermon that we don't have time for today, but I should do sometime, or Chad should do sometime. Um, Anyway, so uh, she says this, she, uh, Mary, to, the, to Peter and John, she says, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. And so Peter and John, they respond to this declaration doing, by doing what many of us would do. Uh, should our closest friend, uh, living or dead, go missing, uh, they return back to the place they knew he was last. Uh, And that's the tomb. They run to the tomb. And so it's here uh, in verse 4 from what Tracy read. uh, In John's telling of the resurrection story that it becomes my favorite, verse 4, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I thought you would think that was funnier. John... John tells his resurrection story in 10 verses. Uh, It's the shortest one. Luke is like 12 verses, Matthew 15. Mark, I think, uses like 20 verses uh, to tell the story of Jesus resurrecting. And John used one of 10 verses written for people for all of time to report that Jesus was raised from the dead to also make sure that everyone knew he could beat Peter in a foot race. (laughs) That is, when people say that the Bible is unrelatable, I want to show them this verse and be like, no, I relate to that. Like, I don't blame it. One time in my life, I beat Sarah Stokes, who was a college track athlete for a minute, at a foot race at a Young Life camp. It was over 10 years ago. And if you have time after, I would love to tell you about it. I'll talk about it anytime. time. Uh, please ask her also. That would make me feel uh, real good. Um, okay, back to the story. So, Um, You think I spent too much time on that running thing? But again, John used 10% of his story on the resurrection for us to know 2,000 years later that he was faster than Peter. So John, he arrives at the tomb, uh, and and he finds out that Mary was right, uh, that uh, the stone has been rolled away, that Jesus' body is missing, and he sees burial linens, but he sees no body. Uh, Verse 6 says, then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus's head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings, uh, this is another detail I love about John's telling of the resurrection. Uh, the linens—they aren't just there; they're folded. Did you get? Did you catch that? They're not just there; they're folded. Here's why I think this matters. I think it matters because there's no rush in the resurrection. There's no rush. It's the single greatest event in all of human history, and it's happening in this moment. Jesus was raised from the dead, and he takes the time to fold his linens. Parents, if you're looking for a verse to put at the top of your chore chart, I'll suggest this one. Verse 7. Just kidding. That's actually not what it's about. The the lesson here is not that cleanliness is next to godliness. Don't know who needs to hear this, but that's actually not in the Bible. Um, But uh, the lesson, I think, in this moment is that uh, throughout his entire life and throughout his entire ministry, Jesus, he was always acting with purpose and he was always acting with intention, but never in rush. Never in rush. Always in power. Always in purpose. But he did not operate out of urgent anxiety, even here even in the tomb, even coming back to life. When uh, Peter looks in, he he doesn't see the evidence of like a quick stripping and an anxious exit. He sees a missing body and folded linens. Uh, John follows him in, verse 8 says, And then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, I cannot not mention that he brings it up a second time, (laughs) in case we missed it on the first, uh, also went in, he saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scripture that Jesus, that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Uh, John and Peter they do not see and panic when they get to the tomb. Our scripture tells us they see and believe. The uh, things that had been so confusing to them in the scriptures and in Jesus's own words over the last few days, they all fall into place in this moment. Uh, they all fall into place, and seeing becomes believing for them. Uh, A theologian I love named Karl Barth, he says, to sum up, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the verdict of God, the fulfillment and proclamation of God's decision concerning the event of the cross. Uh, When the disciples are able to believe, what what Barth is saying here is when the disciples are able to believe uh, that that the resurrection is the proof of God's acceptance that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are enough that the life in Jesus, that they were enough, that the judgment of God has been settled. And is now his judgment is now no longer against the world, but with the aim of saving the world. That's what switches in this moment, the resurrection of Jesus. It seals the obedience of Christ on the cross as a divine act of loving kindness, an act for then and an act for now. The resurrection of Jesus, it settles God's judgment. It solidifies God's verdict of new life and fresh hope and renewal for the entire earth. Uh, The resurrection was God's great proclamation uh, that what Jesus did on the cross made the whole story work. Frederick Buechner says this, it made the whole story work entirely in our favor. 2,000 years ago, Peter and John, they walked into an empty tomb where they found folded linens and a missing body and a fresh view of what they could believe God for. Now, uh, God could be trusted not only for sending his son, but now they could trust him for resurrection. They could trust him for resurrection. In In one moment, Peter and John, they become Easter people, people whose world would be marked not just by Jesus who died, but now by Jesus who God raised from the dead. God uh, raised Jesus from the dead, it it is the same thing is true for us today that was true for them. We have the same invitation uh, at this story, the invitation to be Easter people. Uh, We have an invitation to believe in what was satisfied through Jesus on the cross, that uh, all of the ways that we have destroyed ourselves and destroyed uh, the people around us and destroyed the world, that all of those things were settled there. Uh, And not just the ways that we've brought destruction into the world, but all of the destruction that has been done to us was settled there. That hit me in a a whole new way this Good Friday. That not only was my destruction and my sins sent to the cross, but that all of the sins against me and all of the destruction against me was settled uh, in this moment. The cross is the evidence that the Father takes the destruction of his people and the destruction of his world very seriously. And we also uh, have an invitation to faith, an invitation to trust God for resurrection, Uh, faith in the Father who sealed up what was justified on the cross and brought love back to life. And so we have been invited to believe in the God who is still doing that, who is still sealing up destruction and bringing life into the darkness, into the devastation, into the disorder, into the dead places. Um. Please don't hear me wrong in this. Uh, the resurrection is not proof that we can trust God to keep bad things from happening to us. That's not what I mean. Uh, there are a lot of problems with that belief, uh, mainly the Bible. Um, but w- we cannot trust God to keep bad things from happening to us because the cross is proof that God did not keep bad things from happening to him. We can tr- What we can trust, however, is resurrection. We can trust Resurrection. And resurrection is no small thing. Resurrection is the proof that we have in this world that the worst thing is not and will not be the final thing. Bad things, they will happen in this world. I have had a week full of them. Anybody else? Easter week as a preacher? Woo, don't do it. I will do if God told you to. But bad things will happen in this world. Uh, but resurrection says that they are not permanent things that they have no power and no control beyond this world, none. And so accepting the invitation to be an Easter person means learning to live in the relentless hope of resurrection right in the middle of disorder or right in the middle of destruction. It means training uh, in our belief, training in our faith and the courage to ask God for more hope, more mercy, more renewal wherever we see things broken or disordered in us or all around us. Uh, There's a priest uh, and a writer I love. Her name's Tish Harrison Warren, and she says it like this. She says, we are discipled by nearly every impulse of our culture to believe that the here and now is all there is, that the only hope offered for us is found in what we can taste, smell, feel, or see. To believe in something beyond the material world, we have to take up practices that form our imaginations and hearts and minds in light of the resurrection." Uh, How do we combat the urge in us to believe that bad things are the most true things? We learn to take up practices that form our hearts and our minds and our imaginations uh, in light of the resurrection. To train our eyes and our hearts to look for places where tombs are empty and linens are folded. To become what N.T. Wright calls collectors and proclaimers of resurrection stories. Uh, We will learn to trust God for the resurrection and renewal of the kingdom by practicing resurrection in our lives day in and day out and collecting and proclaiming its stories. Because when we learn to pay attention, resurrection stories are everywhere. They're everywhere. Uh, I want to end our time today with one of mine. Uh, It's not a new one if you've known me a long time. I told it a few Easter's ago. Um, But it is a resurrection story that I've collected in my life. Um, my grandparents, uh, fell in love at a skating rink. Isn't that romantic? I used to make them tell me the story all the time, um, like over and over again. And every time my grandfather told it, he said he knew he wanted to be, uh, he knew he wanted my grandmother to be his wife the first time he laid eyes on her. Uh, she was gorgeous and confident and she, he said she skated like she owned the place. I don't know what that is, but I heard my husband did that when he was growing up. I've never seen it. Uh, she said that she thought he was there with another girl, but he says once he saw her, he forgot about the other girl. <laughs> they, uh, they have one of those magic stories where he was a soldier and uh, he went to war and she waited for him. And when he got home, they got married and they had three kids and they raised them in the, in the suburbs, kind of like TV. I remember watching the Wonder Years being like, that was their life. You know, uh, Their life was full of bowling leagues and bridge clubs and uh, coaching their kids' sports teams. And then their children, they grew up and they got married and they had children. And I don't know, they just had this whole life, this whole family, this, this whole thing. And it wasn't perfect for them. Honestly, it was like far from perfect. But to me, it was perfect. Like it became all that I wanted. I wanted the house and the family and the social calendar. Uh, for their 50th wedding anniversary, we went to Regis to celebrate. Anyone from here? That's where you go. I don't know where you go now. We went to Regas, and we celebrated, and we, uh, we told stories, and we looked at old pictures, and we, like, toasted, and, and we we laughed, and we just celebrated the accomplishment that it is of being married for 50 years to the same person. When I got married, I only promised 25 with the option to renew. That's as long as I could think. <laughs> it's looking good. Um, <laughs> and then after Regas, they left. They went to Vegas to party more. And then, and it couldn't have been this fast, but in my mind, they came home from Vegas, and they announced that my grandfather was moving out, and they were splitting up. My grandmother said she just couldn't be married to him anymore. Uh, essentially, they got divorced for their 50th wedding anniversary. And I don't know, for years, uh, things had been slowly crumbling, and then it just wasn't there at all anymore. It was just over. And to me, it felt like a death. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it, It... I don't know, it got messy and awful as things sometimes do. For me, it felt like um, like I had this perfect picture and someone took a hammer and just shattered it. And pretty soon um, after they were divorced, uh, my grandmother's mind was starting to deteriorate. Uh, things started slowly getting kind of weird for her. It was like her mind was full of these big holes and she filled them with like wonky conspiracy theories. Um, she got kind of mean and panicked and then she was forgetting simple things and then bigger things and then eventually she was forgetting everything. And it was like her mind was dying right in front of us, and it was awful. If you have any experience with dementia and Alzheimer's, you, you know what I'm talking about. It, uh, and so eventually my grandmother, she went to live in a nursing home, and my dad and his siblings, they found one with this amazing memory unit. Um, and, and it was incredible, but, but even amazing memory units can be sad places. Uh, and so she lived in this lock wing basically alone, but in that sad place, the weirdest, wildest thing happened. She forgot she was divorced. She did. She forgot it. All of a sudden, she was 17 years old on roller skates. Something like flipped in her mind, and 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 she just wanted my grandfather around again. And then something flipped in his mind, and he softened to her. For, for over a decade, uh, he drove an hour, sometimes longer, multiple times a week to visit my grandmother. She left him and divorced him and was quite mean to him, but he came back anyway. And he didn't remind her of what she had done or all of the bad things that she had forgotten. Uh, he instead would sit by her bed and tell stories about their best days. And he would take her on walks down the hall, and he would like put her arm in his arm and walked her like she was the homecoming queen or a princess or something. And uh, they would hold hands and they would giggle and they would kiss. Honestly, it was gross. <laughs> it was too much. Uh, and then sometimes in the cafeteria, they would play music, and he would he would grab her, and he would put her in his arms, and they would dance like they used to, a little slower, but just as happy. When he was around, there was a light that came back in her eyes that only he could bring. Memories only for him in her sad room, on her sad floor, and right in the middle of the disorder of her deteriorating mind, there was the sweetest surprise of light and hope. It was for me like a tiny glimpse of an empty tomb and folded linens. And I saw it and I believed. I believed that we can trust God for resurrection. Uh, The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she says that earth is crammed with heaven if we only have eyes to see it. The resurrection renewal of the kingdom of God, it is everywhere. It's everywhere, waiting to be collected by us, waiting to be practiced and proclaimed by us, reminders of what we hope for relentlessly, what we can trust and what we can believe, that in Jesus Christ, the worst thing is not the final thing. That in Jesus Christ, the final thing over all of this life, it is love. It's love. So I want to make a little bit of space today for us to kind of sit there. Uh, Every week at the Vineyard, we do something we call Selah. It's just a word we stole from the Psalms, and um, it's essentially just like a quiet pause, like a breath. Um, And so I want to uh, do that right now. Um, So we're going to sit here quietly for just a few minutes, and we'll, we'll make space on this Easter morning for the Spirit of God to form our hearts and our minds and our imagination in light of resurrection. Um, you can feel free to open your eyes or close your eyes or pray or sit quietly, or there's, um, scripture on the inside of your bulletin, um, from Jeremiah. That's beautiful. If that helps you just whatever posture uh, you want to take, but, um, maybe think through this question. Um, where has my life been crammed with heaven <laughs> or another way? What are my resurrection stories? Where has been, has there been hope in hopeless places or order in chaos or beauty in ashes or life in dead places? Uh, Maybe the best way to ask it is where uh, in my life have I seen that I can trust God for resurrection?